Um, this morning we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, if, you, uh, if you're new to the class, if you haven't been with us in a while, we've been kind of slowly working our way through the book of Colossians over, what's it been now, four or five months? Or four or five months now, um, quite a while. Uh, there's a lot in here, so we're going to continue that here this morning as a kind of a review, right? If you've if you were either, again, if you're new, if you haven't been here for a while, maybe you just forgot, you didn't get enough sleep last night. Let me give a kind of a high-level overview of what we've seen so far in the book. So you can largely break down the book of Colossians into two main sections, okay? In chapters 1 and 2, it's very doctrinal in nature, while chapters 3 and 4 are very practical in nature, okay? Chapter 1 and 2, right, Paul actually lays a doctrinal foundation for us as to who Christ is and who we are as believers in him, right? We see Christ as the fullness of God, right? He's the invisible form of God, the firstborn of every creature, right? He is the author and creator of all things, the head of the church and the firstborn among the dead, then as we continue to progress through, we see that as believers in Christ, we are complete in him, right? We are partakers of God's inheritance. We've been delivered from the power of darkness, translated into God's kingdom. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven, and we've been reconciled, right? It is through the blood of his cross that we actually have peace with God, Okay, so all that's very important. It's very important for us to know that, to understand that, and to keep that in mind as we continue to walk through the practical instruction that we get in chapters 3 and 4. So in chapter 3, right, we've been working our way through that. We actually just came through the family series uh, a few weeks ago, or I guess we, we called it the relationship series, all right, family relationship. It's a great series, right? What we got in there was a focus and instruction for how to live, how to walk in the home. Right, as wives, as husbands, as fathers and children, right? How are we to interact with one another, right? What is a, how do we live in a way that's pleasing to God, knowing the things that we know from Colossians 1 and 2, right? And then as we got to the end of the chapter, we did that same thing, except the, 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 uh, the place shifted from the home to the workplace, right? We went into the workplace, we got a focus and instruction as both employees and employers on how we are to walk in light of the truths from Colossians 1 and 2. Okay, so if you missed any of that, you can go online, you can catch up on that, mbtkc.org forward slash sermons. I would highly encourage you to do so. That was really, really great stuff there. Um, it's also particularly the relationship series, right? That's something that all of us can relate to, that people in or outside of the church right, can relate to. And so you can actually take that. I've done that a few times. I've forwarded on some of those messages to friends I have outside of the church. I've actually had a few of them listen into that um, and just use that to, for, to allow God to just really open up a door um, to get people to listen in, right? Everybody's interested in the family. doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, right? Everybody's interested in the family. And so I encourage you to do that. But today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 in the focus of today's message is going to be instruction or instructions in prayer. And this is very fitting for us because as we come through the book of Colossians, if you recall in chapter one, Paul actually starts the letter by giving, uh, he, he lets the Colossians know how he is praying for them. All right, he starts off the letter and he says, man, hey, this is how I'm praying for you. These are the things that I'm praying for you. And he wanted them to know that up front and now as we come to the end of the book, 
chapter 4, he says, hey, by the way, I've got some instruction for you on how to pray. And here's some things that you can be praying for me. And so that's what we're going to look at here today. So let's just go ahead and read it. Should be up here on the screen for us. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, To continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. He says, With all praying also for us, that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. And so let's pray. Father, thank you again this morning. Um, thankful for all the mothers here today. I'm just thankful for everyone who's here today. Uh, Lord, I know prayer is a subject that we talk about a lot. We, we practice a lot. And so I know there's going to be a tendency today for us to say, man, I, I already know that. I understand prayer. I know everything there is about prayer. We talk about prayer. We pray together as a group. Like, I got all that, Lord. And, and there's a tendency for us to kind of let our guard down there. And I'm going to pray against that. I'm going to pray this morning, Lord, that we could um, sit here in all sincerity and just open up our hearts, open up our minds to you, Lord, and, and receive the instruction that you have for us today. Lord, this is so critical for us, especially as believers in this day and age that we're living in, Lord, that we, that we hear you, that we take heed to the way that we're praying to you, to the frequency at which we're praying to you, Lord, to our need to guard prayer in our lives and, and to be thankful in it. And so, Father, please, again, help us to receive your instruction here this morning. Lord, we're going to go ahead and give you all glory, all praise, and all honor in advance, Lord, for what you'll do here this morning. I pray and ask everything in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so very simply here this morning, the passage that we're going to be looking at, we can actually break this down into two sections, right? It's going to be kind of our theme today. We're just going to break things down into small, bite-sized chunks to help us understand it, right? to help us process that. Right? I tell my kids all the time, it's like, man, don't put that big a bite in your mouth. Right? That's hard to chew. And so if we break this down into small bites, I think it'll make more sense as to what Paul's getting at. Sometimes you can, you can kind of read through these passages. Anybody do this, right? You're reading through a passage, and you're like, man, that was awfully wordy. I'm not really sure what God even said there. <laughs> like, that, that sounded good. It sounded nice. It was fancy words, but I'm not really sure what, what happened there. And, and when, when I get to that point, right, God is encouraging me, hey, how can you break this down into bite-sized chunks to help digest it? And so we're going to do that here this morning. Very simply, we can, we can break verses 2, or verse 2, from verses 3 and 4, because in verse 2, Paul is going to give us instruction in prayer. And then in verses 3 and 4, he's going to give us his personal prayer request. Okay, so I want to start in verse 2 here this morning, and I want to make three observations, right? Three uh, bullet points, I might say, here this morning about what Paul is in teaching, what he's instructing us in prayer here this morning. And the first one is this, right? Prayer ought to be the frequent practice of our lives. Prayer ought to be the frequent practice of our lives. In Colossians 4, verse 2, he says to continue in prayer, Right to continue in prayer, and that word continue, it's, it's short for continuous. As we all know, that means to keep doing something, right? to persevere. And it speaks to the frequency at which we are to pray. Right, We are to pray continuously without ceasing all of the time. Right? Prayer is not something that we merely do when it is comfortable, when it's convenient, right? when we have a perceived need in our lives, but it is something that should be regular and consistent in our lives, right? So if we are to pray without ceasing, if we are to continue in prayer, then that obviously necessitates that, you know what, we're praying throughout our day, right? As we get up in the morning, as we go to work, as we're walking through our day, as we're interacting with our family, 
as we come home at night, as we break bread together, before we go to bed, right? All throughout my day, I have times and seasons in which I am just living life and talking with God. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we get the parable, right, of the persistent widow. Right? And in this parable, I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning. I think most of you guys probably know the story, right? What, what, what you have here is you've got this widow, and uh, she's got an adversary that, that's done her wrong. And so she goes to the judge, and she's making her claim to this judge who's an unjust man, right? It says this man doesn't fear God, nor does he fear man, right? And so she's making her claim to this unjust judge, and, and the judge isn't hearing her, right? But because of her persistence, right? He ultimately recognizes, man, I'm going to grow weary from this lady just coming back day after day after day. And so, you know what? I'm just going to answer her to shut her up and get her to go away, right? And, and God looks at that and he gives this parable and he says, hey, you know what? You got a God, you got a father, you got a judge in heaven that's not like this guy, right? That is not unjust like this guy. And so if this guy is willing to hear and to answer something just because this woman was persistent about it, well, man, how much more would your father in heaven Right, and so in verse one, he he actually gives us up front. This is this is kind of a unique thing for a parable, right? Christ up front is going to tell us why he is giving this parable, or at least Luke, the author, is here, right? And he says this, and he spake this parable unto them to this end, right, for this purpose, for this reason, right, to teach them this thing that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Right? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Right? God did not want us to miss the point of this parable, which was to teach us that we ought always, at all times, to pray and not to cease, right? not to faint. The book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, we are told to pray without ceasing. Right? Pray without ceasing, right? And again, that looks like us just walking throughout our day, right? All, all of us have lives to live, right? You go to sleep at night, but when, from the time you get up in the morning, all of us are busy, right? You're going to go to work. You're going to deal with your kids. You're going to come home. You're going to be making dinner. You're going to be getting things ready for the next day. You've got church. You've got activities, right? You can't just stop living life, but you can certainly talk to God as you go throughout your day, right? As you wake up in the morning, right, it's a great way to start your morning just by stopping and talking to God, right, as I'm getting ready for work, as I go off to work, as I'm in, as I'm throughout my work day, right, just praying and ask God to, to remind me of the people that are around me and the doors that are around me and to open up doors around me and to help me with this and not let me get frustrated with that. And then as I go home and I'm, and I'm thinking about my family and what they need and to be praying and talking to God and working through those things, right, and then as we sit down, we break bread and we thank God for all that he's done for us. And we get together at night and we pray together as a family and I pray together or I pray by myself before I go to bed, right? I can be praying all throughout my day and that's what God's talking about here. Now I want to make this argument to you here this morning and, I, and I'm going to try to show you this through scripture, but let me go ahead and say it here. The amount of time that we spend in prayer communicates to God our dependence upon him. Right? The amount of time that we spend in prayer communicates to God our dependence upon Him. Right? Being in a church like MBT, right, all of us know the, the humble Christian things to say. Right? Someone, 
undoubtedly will, will, will come up to you and say, hey man, Mark, you did a fantastic job leading us with announcements and, and celebrating all the mothers this morning. Man, Mark, you're just such an awesome guy. And, and Mark's response is going to be something like, man, praise the Lord. Thank God, right? And, and that's truth, right? We all love to, to throw out things like, man, um, John 15, 5, right? Without me, you can do nothing. Or, or Psalms 127, right? Unless the Lord build the house, they that, that build it labor in vain. Right? And we love to quote those, and all of those things are true. Right? There's nothing wrong. I'm not criticizing anybody for saying those things, right? But I want to ask us this morning, right? Do our actions match the words that are coming out of our mouths? Right? Do the things that we do match what we say? In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, right, God addresses the, the church of Laodicea. And we know that, that this church of Laodicea, it was a physical, historical church, right, located in Asia Minor. But it's also representative of us, of the church age that we are living in today. And in verse 17, God speaking to this church, he addresses the, the spirit of this church age. And he says, you know what, you say that you are rich, and that you're increased with goods, and you have need of nothing. Right? That's what you say. Now, at MBT, I've never heard anybody say that. Right? Nobody's ever actually echoed those words, and maybe, maybe you have. Right? But I'm willing to bet that most of us haven't actually echoed those very sentiments. Right? We don't say that. Right? That would just come off wrong for us to say that. Man, I'm rich. I'm increased with good. I have need of nothing. I, I, I don't need the Lord. I don't need anyone or anything. Right? We don't say that because we know the humble Christian things to say. Right? But I wonder if when God looks at us, he says, no, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it because the amount of time that you spend on your knees talking to me, man, that says enough. You see, the amount of time that you spend on your knees praying to me tells me that you are rich and you are increased with goods and you have need of nothing and you have need of no one, and that includes me. In James chapter 1, verse 5, I really love this, this verse. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and abradeth not. And it shall be given him. And right, so clearly the context here is asking for wisdom. But I just want you to focus in on the phrase. The phrase is here, right? He says, if any man lack, right? If any of you lack, if any lack, if any lack, what's the instruction? Let him ask, right? If any lack, let him ask. You see, when we recognize our needs, when we recognize that, man, apart from God, I can't save anybody. I can't do a thing that God has asked me to do. I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good father. I can't be a good employee. I can't even get through my day without woefully falling into sin and temptation. Man, apart from God, I can do nothing, man. It should drive me to my knees, right? When I recognize my dependence, my need for God, my lack, 
It should drive me to ask. All right, point number two here this morning, back to our passage. Second thing I want you to notice out of verse two is that prayer ought to be the guarded practice of our lives. Prayer ought to be the guarded practice of our lives. Verse 2, he says to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Right? So when I say guarded practice, right, I, I think that speaks to a few different things here, right? Number one, it obviously speaks to our need to, to guard against sin and temptation, right? You see uh, Christ frequently speaking to his disciples, teaching his disciples for their need to guard their hearts and their minds against sin and temptation, we get an example of that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. It says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? And you will get many, many, many parallel verses like that. But I want to focus here this morning on the, the second thing, and that's this, right? Guarding our time in prayer, right? It, or, I'm sorry, the need to, to guard our prayer life speaks to our need to guard our time in prayer. Right? It speaks to our need to guard our time in prayer. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we already saw this, right? That we are to be praying without ceasing. And, and again, this demands that we pray as just we, we live out as we walk through our day. Right? But we also, we also need to be intentional right? to set aside regular, uninterrupted times to meet with God in prayer. And Christ himself, he actually models this for us. Be turning your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, or 5, verse 15. Luke 5, 15. It says, But so much more went the fame of him abroad, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of him for their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Right? Christ withdrew himself from everybody and everything to get away and to get apart, alone with God, uninterrupted with God, in order to pray. See the same thing, Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. And when he, Christ, he had sent away the multitudes, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, get this, he was there alone. Right, it's just him and God uninterrupted, intentional, time away, separated to be able to pray unto God. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, And in the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out. And he departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. All right, so one more time again, we see this, and we see this even more. That's just a few references for you guys here this morning, but... If I can maybe give us an illustration to, to help us um, maybe get and better understand this. I was making sure that was on. I was like, didn't see it, sorry. Um, so I would give us an illustration again here this morning to help us understand, maybe grasp a little bit the way, the way that uh, God might feel about this. So um, we all communicate as we're doing other things, right? Um, I was talking to Rachel about this, like, she'll frequently come up, she'll, she'll communicate to me, and I'll, 
I'll be on my computer, I'm either doing work, I'm getting something ready for church, maybe I'm playing with the kids, maybe I'm just looking at my phone at sudden, you know, sports center or whatever, right? And she'll talk to me, and she'll get a fraction of my attention, right? But we communicate, and it keeps things going, and, and that's fine. I, th- I think it's almost impossible not to do that somewhat in today's uh, busy life. But, um, you know, I wonder how she'd feel, right? There are certainly times in our life when she needs my undivided attention, Right, where she wants to know that, hey, you know what, when I'm speaking to you and you're speaking to me, right, it's just me and you. There's nothing else going on. There's no devices. There's no other agenda. I have got all of your heart. I've got all of your attention. I've got all of your focus. And if she doesn't have that, well, man, that communicates to her how important she is to me. It tells her, hey, you know what, you're worth this much of my time. You're worth this much of my heart, right? I care about you this much because I'm only going to give you this fraction of attention right now. Now, there are times when she needs all of my attention, right? Where it's got to be pencils down, everything down, right? We are just communicating with each other. And it's the same way in our prayer life with God, right? It's okay to be praying as you go throughout your day, man. As you're you're just walking, you're living life, like you have to do that. If you're going to be praying without ceasing, that, that that is obviously required. But It's also very, very true that, man, we need to have intentional, uninterrupted time and communication with God, okay? And we have to guard against that because anything and everything in life wants to force that out of us, right? Prayer is is that thing, even more than, than time in the Word, man, prayer is that thing that is so easy to get squeezed out of our lives, Right? We all live these very busy lives, and we're doing a lot of great things. Right? Sam talks about, about it all the time. Right? We get so busy with the good things that we don't leave enough time for the, the great things right? in prayer and time in his word. And so, man, I can, I can be guilty of that. Man, I, God, I, I'll make time at the end of the day. And then the end of the day comes, and I'm so tired that I get out ten words as my eyes are drooping, and I fall asleep. And I think, man, what did I—I I was just talking— to the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I said unto him, you got 10 words from me before I fell asleep. That's what I think of you. If we can go back to our passage, point number three here. Instruction number three, right, is prayer ought to be the thankful practice of our lives. Prayer ought to be the thankful practice of our lives. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Right? For the believer in Christ, thanksgiving ought to be a key attribute or a key characteristic of our prayers. In Psalms 100 verse 4, we are told to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I'd enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be ye thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalms 95 verse 2, it tells us, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. I come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. So we get here um, a really good principle from scripture, which is, you know what, when we start our prayer, a really good way to start our prayer is actually with thanksgiving. 
right? Before we start just throwing all of our problems and all of our needs upon God, you know what? A good place to start is by just thanking God for what he's already done in our lives, right? As Mark talked this morning, I wanted to ask Mark, I almost embarrassed Mark. He said, you know, he's going through the, the alphabet. And I'm like, well, what did you come up with X? Did you come up with anything with X? X-ray vision. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Because I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, what letters would I really struggle with? I'm like, man, X would be a hard one. Okay. If you need letters, if you're needing help with thanking God, we're going to talk to Mark this morning. That was a, that's a really good exercise. I, I liked that. So, so again, right, a principle from Scripture, right? It's good to begin our prayers with thanksgiving, right? And so, again, I'll, I'll kind of bring this back to maybe an illustration we can all get, right, for those parents in the room. Right? You understand um, your kids, and we all recognize from a very young age the dependence that our kids have upon us, right? In fact, as they get older and they become less dependent, it's easy to tell because they, they quit asking you for as much, right? But as a young child, right, they're very dependent upon you, and it's, hey, mom and dad, can you do this? Mom and dad, can you help me with this? Mom and dad, what's this mean? Mom and dad, do this. Mom and dad, can we do this? Mom and dad, can you get me this? Mom and dad, what's this? Mom and dad, help me with this. Mom and dad, mom and dad, mom and dad, mom and dad. And at some point, you're like, this has got to stop, bro. <laughs> we, let's, just, let's just sit and be quiet. Like, <laughs> it's like, bro, no, but you know what really helps with that as a parent? What really helps me is when one of my kids just says thank you. Right, when one of my kids says, hey, man, dad, thank you for helping me with my schoolwork. Thank you for getting me breakfast. Mom, thank you for washing our clothes. Mom, thank you for waking us up and getting us out of bed. They don't ever thank you for that. Um, thank you for playing with us. Thank you for getting us gifts. Thank you for taking us on vacation, right? And as a parent, I don't, I don't want, I don't expect anything from my kids. I know my parents don't, right? They're not expecting money from me. They're not expecting me to take care of them, but a thank you sure goes a long way. Right? A thank you goes a long way, and I think about to God, and it's like, man, a lot of times we can be guilty of, God, I need this. God, show me this. God, do this. Oh, God, do this for someone else. God, I need this. God, I want this. God, do this. And he's like, you know what? A thank you. Just one little thank you would go a long way. This is actually Jesus' complaint when you read uh, Luke chapter 17. I don't think I put this on the, on the PowerPoint here, but in Luke chapter 17, Jesus encounters these ten lepers. Right, And uh, they come up to him, and it's Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And, and Jesus tells them, hey, you know what? Go show yourselves unto the priests. And as they went out, they're actually cleansed, they're healed. Right? But only one of these guys actually returns and, and tells Jesus, thank you. Right? And in Luke 17, verse 16, it says that this man, he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet and, and giving him thanks, right? for he was a Samaritan. And it says, and Jesus answering him, he says, you know what? Weren't there 10 of you guys? Weren't there 10 of you guys? But where are the other nine? He says, you know what? There, there's not found 
that return to give glory to God except this one man, this one stranger. I mean, I just healed you. I just did everything for you. And one of you guys, just one, returned to even say thank you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, we are told in everything, right? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And you know what? Everything includes the bad, too. And as much as we may not like it, everything includes the bad, too. I can look back on, on hard times in my life, and I can think, man, that sucked. That was really, really hard. I didn't like that at all. I didn't enjoy that at all. God, why did we go through that, right? Why did we have to learn that lesson the way that we had to learn, right? And, and that, that hurt. And then I can just look and see, man, how we're at where we're at today because we had to go through that. Right? The, even through a hard time, even through a loss, man, God grew us and was working as his word says he would, right? He's going to work all things together for good to those that love him, right? Man, God was working and he was growing and he was perfecting and he was preparing us for what was going to come next. So even in the moment when that sucked, and even looking back and I'm like, I don't want to do that again. Man, I can give thanks to God. And I can know that he's in control. I can know he's going to do what's best not only for me, but for everyone. I, I can know that his will is perfect. And I can give thanks, right? First Thessalonians 5.18, it tells us that this is the will of God. Right? It's the will of God that his people would be thankful people. Think about that. It's the will of God that in everything, not just the good things, but in everything, that we, his people, would give thanks. So again, just to kind of summarize verse 2 for us here, right? Prayer ought to be, again, the frequent practice of our lives. Prayer ought to be the guarded practice of our lives. And prayer ought to be the thankful practice of our lives. All right, with the time we have left, I want to look at Paul's prayer request in verses 3 and 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. It says this, he says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance, to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am also in bonds, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. And so we know that Paul... Paul was a, a missionary, right? He was an evangelist. He was a discipler. He was a church planner. He was a brother in Christ. And so what we have here is a very good example on how we ought to pray for such. And what we find here is that Paul is asking really for, for two things, right, as it pertains to speaking the mystery of Christ. Now, so we're all on the same page here, right? The mystery of Christ quite simply put, is the fact that God would go and preach the gospel, would bring the gospel, the good news, unto the Gentiles, right? That the Gentiles could be saved by grace through faith, that they could be fellow heirs and partakers of God's promises. And you see that defined for us in passages like Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, and Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. I'll read one of those here really quickly for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, it says, whereby when we, or when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And get this, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Okay, and so as it pertains to speaking this mystery, right, Paul's prayer request is twofold. Number one, he's asking for an open door of utterance. Right, he's, he's asking for an open door of utterance. And number two, his prayer request is that he might make it manifest, right, the mystery of Christ manifest as he ought to speak. Okay, so let's just break this down. Let's talk about the open door of utterance, right? We know... Very simply put, right, a door is an access point. A door is an access point. For us, it represents not only the opportunity to speak the gospel of Christ, but also to be heard by those that we're speaking to. Right? You can go outside and you can talk to a wall, but tell me how far that gets you. Right, a lot of the times we think, well, I've got an open door just because someone is not telling me to go, <laughs> go hit the road. I, I'm speaking, but I'm talking to a wall because their heart and their mind are completely closed off. They have no interest in anything that I'm saying. They're not ready to receive anything that I'm saying. Right, just because you have an avenue to speak words to someone does not mean you have an open door with them. Right? Oftentimes we try to kick down these doors, but we have to understand, as Paul did, right, that it is God and God alone that can open doors to men's hearts, to their minds, right, to give them understanding, to light them to the gospel. We see that very clearly in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, speaking to the church of Philadelphia, he says, I know thy works. He says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. You see, when God opens a door, man, he throws that thing wide open. And when he opens it, man, it's hard to shut that thing. He says, for thou hast a little strength, thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Right? It is God, it is prayer to God that opens doors. Right, regardless of what we may know or how eloquently we can speak it, right, if God doesn't move to open doors in people's hearts and in people's lives and their minds, right, then, then we have and they have no shot, no shot at ever receiving the gospel for themselves. Right, it is God that lighteth, it is God that giveth the will to repentance. And it is God that must open doors. Point number two here is this, right? Paul asked that he, that he could manifest the mystery of Christ, right, as he ought to speak, right? To manifest is to declare something, right? To make it apparent, right? We can think of it as to make it easy to see or to understand. Now, I want you to think about this, right? Paul knew how to speak as well as any man, Right? Paul knew how to speak as well as any man, and yet here he is covening the prayers of this church at Colossians. Right? That he may know how to speak this mystery. 
right? His request was to make the mystery of the gospel known to those who hadn't heard it and to make it plain to their understanding. In verse 4, he says, as I ought to speak, right? As I ought to speak. And so I think there's a lot of ways that we could go with this. I think it's, it's kind of a, a broad study, and we'll actually get into a little bit more next week um, in terms of uh, how we're to speak and approach the loss. But if I could give us maybe two things here this morning that pertain to this when Paul's saying, man, I, I want to make manifest this gospel, and I want to do it as I ought to speak. Number one is this, man, be bold. Be bold. Think about this. If you have bet your life, if you have bet your eternity on what the Bible says is true about who Christ is, then man, you ought to speak of it like you believe it. Right? If you have bet your life and your eternity and the lives of your loved ones, of your wives, of your kids, right, you're banking all of your future. All of your eternity on, man, Christ is who he said he was. He died like he said he was. He rose from the grave. If I'm betting on that, then, man, I ought to talk to people like I believe that. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, you know, praying with all, I'm sorry, verse 18, he says, praying always with all prayer and all supplication in the spirit and watching there too with, with perseverance and supplication for all the saints He says, and as for me, right, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, get this, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I think too many times when we are sharing our faith with people, we share it like we only partially believe it. Like the gospel of Jesus Christ is just some lucky rabbit's foot that we carry around, and it makes us feel good when the world around us is going to hell. No, it's okay. I'm holding on to this rabbit foot over here. It's okay. Right? We're not convicted in our own hearts and lives. And man, I've bet everything on this. If this isn't true, then nothing else in my life matters, right? I'm most miserable of all men. If this isn't true, man... I, I, I would sell my soul for this, for this truth. I've bet everything on it, man. If I do, I know this is true more than I know the grass is green, than the sky is blue, than I can see my wife sitting right in front of me. I know this is more true than that. Right? When we know something is true, most of us don't have a problem speaking emphatically about it. I, I know I don't. Right? When Pastor Morgan and I are talking about football, and I think... Dak Prescott is overrated. I have no problems being emphatic about it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I can be emphatic about sports opinions, which are just opinions. I can be bold and be like, you're crazy, man. Carson Wentz is way better. That was a bad take, by the way. (laughs) But I can be bold, I can be emphatic about that, and yet, man, when I speak to people about the gospel... It's like I'm, I kind of believe it. I'm kind of scared to tell you because I kind of believe it. I don't know. Like, that's how, that's the appearance that we give. And man, we ought to speak boldly. Now, 
Let me tell you this. If, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I, I lack boldness. It's hard for me to speak to people. It's hard for me to engage people with conversation. Well, you are in good company. Um, Paul himself lacked boldness, prayed for it. The apostles lacked boldness, prayed for it. Right? We saw Paul there in Ephesians 6.20. Right? If you read Acts chapter 4, verse 29, right? Peter and the other apostles, they pray for boldness, and God gives it to them. And does this incredible witnessing opportunity as a result. Right? If, if we lack boldness, we ought to pray for it. But man, when we speak and share the mystery of Christ, right, we ought to be bold about it. Right? We ought to be, I'm not saying you be a jerk. I'm not saying you be arrogant. Right? But man, you ought to speak it like you believe it. Like you have bet your life and your eternity and everyone else you know on it. All right, point number two is this, right? Keep it simple. Right? Keep it simple as I could have gone with it. You know, Pastor Greg Axe, he says this often, right? Uh, it's kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid, right? He writes that in his book. I, you guys aren't stupid, so I didn't want to say that to you guys. But keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 12, he says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly toward you, word. Right? The gospel is a very simple message. It's very simple. Right? We are sinners separated from God, a holy and righteous God. And because of that, you know what? We are, we are doomed to an eternity in hell, right? That's what we're deserving of. And yet God loved us so much that he sent down his son to pay the penalty of our sins, right? To live a life, a perfect life that we never could, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that through heart belief and mouth confession, right, we can now receive salvation through him. Right, it's very simple. It's very simple, and we ought to keep it as such, right? Keep it simple. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't try to make it more palatable. You know, I'm not telling you that your gospel presentation needs to be boring. Right? It, in fact, as we'll see next week, it should be anything but... Right? But the gospel itself is a very simple message. And oftentimes we try to add more into it or we want to get off into a pet doctrine or we want to attack some person for how they believe in this and that. And it's like, man, choose the right hill to die on. Right? Die on that message, the gospel, and keep it simple. Right? You want to preach it with simplicity. You want to preach it with sincerity. And you want to preach it like you believe on it with the whole of your being. All right, we will continue our study next week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite Pastor Morgan to come on up. He's going to um, be sharing with us um, a little bit of a next step that we're going to be taking as a fellowship in order to, to go deeper and to grow and pray. And so um, let me go ahead and close this out in prayer here. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Um, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I am sorry where I fall short. Lord, just going through this, Lord, I'm, I'm guilty of not praying frequently enough. I'm, I'm guilty of not 
guarding my time in prayer, of not being intentional to, to set aside time and to pray uninterrupted to you. Lord, I'm guilty of, of not thanking you enough, Lord, for answered prayers, for what you've already done. Lord, help us to pray right. Help us to pray often. Help us to get full of faith. Lord, as, as we saw Paul's prayer request, Lord, let us, let us trust in you and pray for open doors. God, we need you to open doors with the lost. Lord, we know we, we can't bear any fruit apart from you and unless you open the door. And so, Lord, we're praying for open doors with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. Lord, with, with all of the world, Lord, we're praying for open doors. And that, God, when you do open those doors, Father, help us to speak it as we ought. Lord, help us to speak boldly. Help us to do it with simplicity. Father, it's your words that have the power unto salvation, not us. God, just help us to be faithful and effective stewards for you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.